Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 189 of the podcast. It's the 14th of August, 2019, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a wonderful conversation with Amy Martinez. Amy is a mother of five kids, ranging in age from 15 to 29. Her family began with public schooling, moved to homeschooling, and then ultimately to unschooling. Her insights on those transitions, on living in a big family, and the connections and amazing relationships that have developed with unschooling are inspiring. Before we get to our conversation, though, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Joe Harris, Leslie Vigneri, and Sophia. Hi, Joe. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Sophia. I'm really excited you've joined us. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it is integral to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash exploring unschooling. Now let's dive into my conversation with Amy. Welcome, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Amy Martinez. Hi, Amy. Hi, Pam. So Amy connected with me recently and I'm really excited to share with you guys some of the highlights of her family's unschooling journey. So to get us started, Amy, can you just share with us a bit about you and your family? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we are a base family seven that has now grown to 10. Um, We have, starting out, we have my husband, who is the epitome of lifelong learner. He just, um, you know, he has his regular corporate job. He owns a business as a home inspector in our area. And aside from those two things, he can do anything, whether it's you know, fixing iPhone screens or dishwashers or anything that comes up that if you can order the part, he can fix it. And he often says he has a you know degree in YouTube or degree in Google because that's just what he does. He you know there's a problem and he fixes it. So um, I just feel like it's good to start out with him because he is like our family example of how learning doesn't ever stop just because you get older. And so after him is our 29-year-old son, Ricky, and he's married to Carissa, and they have a one-year-old named Augustine, and they are living in our home with us right now. They're transitioning from moving out of state to being here closer to family. And um, then there's Josie, who's 
26 and her husband who is 32. Um, that's Jesse and Todd and they live about two hours away. And Todd was a homeschooler all his life. Um, and Josie was homeschooled through just the high school years. She only homeschooled the high school years. So um, they don't have any children yet, but they just adopted an adorable little cat. <laughs> and <laughs> she went to college and she got a degree in music. And she's a guitar teacher. And um, he is an IT technician. So... Then there's Isaiah, who's 19, so you notice there's a seven-year gap there. Um, so we have two sets of kids because of just the big age gap, and they didn't both have the same parents because we changed so much over time. Right. <laughs> so we may look the same on the outside, but <laughs> yeah. the parenting was a little different. Um, but let's see. Uh, Isaiah's 19, he leaves this weekend to go live with Josie and Todd because he's going to go to the same university that Josie went to, and he's going to study video game design. Uh -huh. So that's his uh, thing right now. And then there's Victoria, who's 17, and she is, I guess, in schooly terms, technically going to be starting a gap year this year. But she is an artist illustrator, and she um, volunteers with children, and um, just you know is an all-around sunny girl. <laughs> and then there's Grace, and she's the baby. Um, she's 15, and she has decided this is going to be her senior year because she's just ready for that. So she's got a couple of goals in mind that she wants to you know, tick off. And, um, but other than that, you know, she, she hasn't really focused in on what she wants to do yet, but she has her hand in several things. Um, she's self-teaching Japanese and she is very into home herbalism and um, writing. And she's also a bit of an artist herself and she sings like an angel. So that's, that's the family, and then there's myself. I don't want to forget myself. Um, I, other than just you know keeping all the kids, all the cogs in motion around the household, I do have two outside of the home jobs, and one of them is um, I'm a very part-time office assistant for a local sales director with a direct sales company. And we've been working together for about five and a half years and have developed a great friendship as well as working relationship. And then um, I'm actually recording, not in my home, but in an Airbnb. And um, I clean these two units of Airbnb for some friends who live out of state. And I took that on because Victoria needed an income. <laughs> And she was having a hard time finding a job. So we partnered up together. And then when she did find a job, then Grace transitioned into that. And so now Grace and I do it together. And I decided to come use the space since nobody was in it today so that I wouldn't have the dog barking in the background or anything like that. <laughs> Big family in a nutshell.
<laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And I love that last little tidbit, right? I love that, you know, we're just helping each other out, figuring, figuring things out together, right? And, you know, this exactly. is challenging. We're going to do this together. And then one moves on and somebody else is interested. And, you know, oh, I can pop over there and you... It, it there, it's just um, just a nebulous bubble of of cool things that work for us together and helping yeah. each other out, right? Yeah, exactly. Because a couple of weeks ago, both of the younger girls were in a drama camp, and we had several cleanings fall into that time frame. And it just so happened my daughter-in-law was here and not working yet. So she filled in for Grace, and she made a little extra money, and it just worked for all of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> so one thing I, I, when we connected, I found really cool was you've done public school, you've done homeschooling, and you guys have moved into unschooling. Um, so I thought that would be a really cool experience to share with people. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit now about what your family's move to unschooling looked like, how you guys kind of decided to go there and how the transition went for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started homeschooling 13 years ago. And at that time, the kids were, you know, wide range of ages. And so my oldest son was starting the 11th grade when we pulled him out of public school. And at the end of that year, he went ahead and got his GED, and so he just kind of finished. Um, but what that opened up for us was it gave me an insight into what homeschooling was, because up until that time, we only knew two very stereotypical families <laughs> that had homeschooled. Um, it just wasn't something I had ever even heard about until they were older. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but it gave me the confidence to do it. And so at the end of that year, uh, well, actually halfway through that year, Isaiah, who was in first grade at the time, just kept saying, well, I want to do school at home like Ricky. You know, I want to do, school, do school at home. And at first I was like, well, maybe next year. You know, we'll, we'll start it fresh at the beginning of the year. But he just kept insisting, and there were some things going on with the teacher at school who was, she was a great teacher, but he really had an interest in our faith. And he realized that there was another friend that also shared that faith. And so at recess, they would sit and talk to each other. And they didn't push that on anybody. They would just talk to each other. And she would tell them that they weren't allowed to. And I would tell them, she's not allowed to, but you're allowed to talk to your friend if, if he's comfortable talking about it. But I realized really quickly how children at that age, they want to please. And how he was going to, it didn't matter what I said at home, he had to spend all day every day with this person. And it made me understand how much of an influence we're giving to other people and the impact that can have on our relationships with our own children if they are out, you know, they're however many days, you know, or how many hours per day. So I said, all right, let's give this a try. And so halfway through first grade, he came home and then um, 
Josie finished up eighth grade in the public school, and then she came home for high school. And then the other two girls just never went to any kind of school other than being at home. And like I said, we didn't have anybody to influence us because we really didn't know anybody who was doing it. And so we started out very traditional, school at home. We had our classroom, and I had my laminated poster boards up on the wall. And, and we just went lesson by lesson with a very traditional curriculum. But as time went by, I became more confident and I learned more about the options that were out there. And so we just slowly transitioned through different styles of homeschooling, like unit studies and Charlotte Mason and eclectic. And, and then we just ended up kind of falling into this space that I didn't know what it was called. Like I didn't know the label for it. And I had heard of unschooling, but I had never looked into it. Because, I mean, I don't know, there were a variety of reasons of experiences on the playground with um, the separation between homeschoolers and unschoolers that can sometimes play out. I guess just because we're not talking about curriculum. <laughs> so, so I hadn't really looked into it. But the more I let go of the curriculum being what we were following and instead using it more as a tool for what the kids wanted to pursue. Um, I, I just, you know, just naturally evolved into that. And then the only thing that was kind of holding me back of really knowing whether I was unschooling or not, and this is going to sound totally ridiculous now because I have never looked up can Christians blank but I looked up can Christians unschool because I didn't know any <laughs> all the unschoolers we knew were secular and you know we would hang out with them at the playground and and things like that but I never met anybody who had done both and so yeah and two o'clock in the morning one night I was googling that and um found these different websites and blogs that, that did have the two married together. Mm -hmm. And as I read through it, I was like, oh, that is what we're doing. <laughs> we are unschooling. And that was just like the academic part of it. But along the way, like I said, we have this, the first two children and then a gap and then the rest of the children. And along the way, the same way that all the curriculum fell away in in the academic side a lot of the this is just the way it's done in parenting also fell away and I started to trust myself in what felt good in my relationship with my kids versus what people you know said should be done with kids that just didn't feel good and didn't feel like it was nurturing to the relationship so they just, they kind of came up hand in hand together, and I just didn't know that's what was happening until <laughs> we were just, we were just flowing in it. <laughs> oh, I love, I love that description, Amy, because it, it was all about you being um, like inexperienced and in relationship with your kids, right? It was you seeing yeah, seeing what was going on, seeing them learning, and and 
I don't know if, if, if trust is maybe the right word, but it's, you know, um, yeah, trusting that and, and through experience, seeing that the things that they were interested in, the things they were learning, those were all valuable and just as worthy as the stuff that you were learning through curriculum, right? And that just, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, that just slowly melting away as you gained more and more confidence and experience with seeing it in action and saying, you know, I'm not, and taking more agency in it, right? Rather mm -hmm. than feeling like you need a curriculum to control or a set of parenting rules to control, but really feeling out what feels good for you guys. And through doing that, you discovered eventually that they kind of call this unschooling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I also love your, your Christian unschooling question and and <laughs> that because of course you know that's a question because that is um uh stereotype misconception whatever it's it's a valid question out there that lots of people have and you know what we'll share links to a couple of unschooling and christian blogs because there are so many aspects you know with with any religion with any you know strongly held belief i you know, kind of right. call them with any of those. Um, it they can mesh with unschooling in 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 lovely ways, right? And yeah. depending that on your approach, of, it works. Yeah, that was one of the things that was really interesting to me as I was preparing for this question and just looking back. And it wasn't really a question of since I'm a Christian, am I allowed to homeschool or I mean to unschool? Yeah. But just, were there others? Were there others doing it? And, you know, what could be learned from what they were doing? But it's and almost like learning, right? Right, to, um, yeah. it, it increases, like, like it, 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 they feed each other, mm -hmm. right? The, our, our passions, the things that we're passionate about, that we're interested in, they really can all feed each other when, when you're open to it. Because, you know, I'm, uh, figuring the way you're also approaching your Christian faith is not full of rules, but it's more full of relationship, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And what I've discovered is in a, in like realizing the way that my parenting has grown and how that's been informed by unschooling, but my unschooling and parenting has been informed by my faith. You know, and I know that that can happen with anybody's faith, you know, because as you said, whatever it is that you have a passion about, it's, they're going to inform each other. Yeah, no, exactly. Because they're all, they're all part of you. And, and, uh, I think they can all, they can all flow together really, really beautifully when you're open to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I laughed when you said trust because, you know, we've, gone down this long windy road but it was worth the journey even though sometimes I feel like oh I wish I would have found this sooner it was worth the journey because it's fun with the kids to look back at the things that we maybe used to have bought into that now we can see were just kind of ridiculous <laughs> and I've had an opportunity to apologize for not knowing better or trusting my instinct instincts more um, and then they just give me so much grace and have kept their trust in me intact through it all. 
because as I grew and learned more and shared that with them, they could see it was my desire to do my best by them. And that kept them going along for the ride. Oh, I love that. That's such a great point too, because we can't just kind of plop from the beginning to the end. It, it truly is a journey, right? Like, and we all start wherever we are with whatever experiences and knowledge and, and understanding we have at that moment and our choice to, to learn more, to take that journey, to, um, to um, commit to that journey, I think, because, because if you try to jump, if you try to think, oh, well, unschooling, we do this, 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 and let's just jump to that. You don't really have that understanding. You don't have all that experience that you gained, right, that made you know, helped you know and discover in your bones that this was what was going to work best for you guys. You yeah. know, that, that's invaluable, right? That's the only way to get there is through that deep understanding of what's mm -hmm. happening because then then you're there in that moment not jumping to a moment saying okay well what am I supposed to do here what am I supposed to do here then it's so hard you can't really be there you don't really trust um, because you don't really understand yet right? right I mean definitely that can be you can know that's the direction you want to go but everybody still needs to take their own steps that's why we're always talking about it being an individual journey right <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Okay, so as part of that, um, uh, as parents who discovered unschooling when your kids were older, um, I know it's pretty common to hear things like, if I let my kids decide what to do, what to eat or when to sleep, they'll play video games all night while eating only junk food. You know, and when you're at the beginning of that journey, that is really what you see, right? So... I don't mean to belittle anybody who has those questions because I mean, I remember having them when you're, because you don't know what you're replacing it yet. That's what you're learning on the journey. If you just jump to, well, okay, you know, no rules as your rule that that's what you can imagine. Well, if I took that away from my kids, all they'd want to do is play video games all night and eat junk food. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so as you mentioned, your three youngest of your kids were, were older still when you moved um, to unschooling. So I was wondering what your experience was at the beginning there when you started to lift up that or explore those kinds of ideas, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because since they were older, some of those transitions happen naturally. Mm -hmm. You know, um, as they get older, they stay up later. But we would still sometimes say, okay, it's getting late. You guys should probably go to bed. Especially if I was tired and I would want to go to bed, I felt like everybody else should be too. Um, but what an interesting thing happened is that my husband, he doesn't get off from his corporate job until midnight. And he'd had nighttime jobs throughout their childhood, but when they were younger and did go to sleep earlier or whatever. But now they were missing him. And so they kept staying up just a little bit later and a little bit later until the point that they would have kid and dad time after I was in bed. Once he got home 
at quarter after 12, you know, in the middle of the night. <laughs> they would have a snack with him and they would have their daily conversation with him. And what that allowed was also to continue the meaningful traditions that they'd had over the years. And so um, I worried a little bit about that. Not that they weren't going to get enough sleep because they had plenty of flexibility in the morning, but just how was that going to play out when they got a job or decided to take some class or take on some responsibility that they'd have to be at in the morning. But instead of worrying about it, I just kind of sat back and let it, let it see. You know, let's just see. How's it going to go? And so, you know, when they started getting jobs, then they adjusted their time. They would stay at just till he walked in the door, get that, you know, that nightly prayer that he's prayed over them every night since they were babies, and then go to bed. But if they didn't have to be somewhere the next day early in the morning, then they would stay up till three o'clock with him, you know, and, and it wasn't always, it isn't always just them focusing in on each other, but connecting and then being in the same space with each other as he's working on a report or they're playing a video game, you know, and just um, connecting over the things that are meaningful to them in the same way we do during the daytime since, you know, I'm up during the day. So that was one um, thing to tackle was the bedtime. So all of those worries about um, is this going to make it them unable to adjust their schedule when they need to, that never played out. There has not been a single time that one of my kids has not gotten up for work on their own without, you know, depending on me or, or one of each other to get up and get them up, you know, since that change has taken place. And, you know, the kind of same thing went with mealtimes. We naturally started changing our mealtimes as people got jobs and were home at different times instead of always being home together. And so it changed how I cooked. And so maybe I provide one full meal a day and then there's plenty of options in the refrigerator and freezer for whatever they needed. And at first that was a struggle because I was used to providing all the meals and having control over what was being cooked. And it was always something they liked, but you know, that whole, where meal thing, you know, and when I asked them, what is it that you want me to have on hand when you are up in the middle of the night or you do have to just grab something before you run to work? And I'll tell you, Pam, we all laugh about it because I spent so many years teaching them nutrition. <laughs> and what did they ask for? Corn dogs and, um, toaster waffles and frozen burritos and things like that. And things that were a treat in the past, you know, became what they wanted to consume. And again, I just said, you know what, we're going to try this. I'm just going to get what they want. I'm going to respect, you know, their appetite. And so it was amazing the way little by little, they started taking responsibility for their own nutrition. And that's not to say that they don't still, you know, ask me to buy those things. Because it is easy for a team to just pop something in the microwave rather than cook a meal. But they became so self-aware 
You know, I have the 15-year-old. She knows her sugar limit because she's experienced what, what it felt like to go over that. And now she's very conscious of it. And they know what time they can drink coffee up until that it won't affect when they want to go to sleep. Um, and then they learn to respond to their body's needs, just asking for a specific nutrient. Because, you know, my son, he was working at a local cafe, and sometimes he'd bring home a lot of bread and a lot of cookies. And every once in a while, he'd come home with a salad, and he's like, yeah, I just really needed to feel like I was putting something healthier in my body. And so, you know, it's just how, how do they learn to hear what their body's asking for and what they need and to understand the consequences of overindulging the way I still do at my age, you know, and end up with heartburn in the middle of the <laughs> If they you know, don't get a chance to regulate that for themselves. So Yeah, no, and that's then, true. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that, I mean, that's been my experience as well. It, it's n number one, sometimes we make choices, you know, in the moment for the, those extra things and you know, to deprive somebody else of that um, choice uh, doesn't seem realistic or fair. Right. But yeah, also the experience, like to be able to have that wide range of experiences so that they can feel what they what they are all like so that they can because then they're truly making choices right mm -hmm. not making choices just because they're supposed to right. one way or the other but because they really know that that's what's gonna help them feel good in in that moment yeah. right yeah exactly um, and then the last frontier that often gets talked about is the video games you know, yeah, they did stay up playing video games all night long, and they still do sometimes. When they get a new game, they go into what they refer to as a hole. And they're like, you know, I'm digging myself out of the hole as I progress through the, <laughs> through the game. <laughs> but we used to have restrictions on those things. And when one of the things that I noticed um, with those restrictions is that as they became older and felt the arbitrariness of those restrictions, it put them in a position of having to choose obedience versus what they um, what they were really interested in doing and how to spend their time. And so there was a little bit of sneakiness starting to come out and I just thought you know that's not them that's me because I made this role without really consulting them about why I was making that decision like I gave them my reasons but I didn't really hear their side of it because they would just accept it you know but then there would be times where I just kind of knew that they were breaking the rules <laughs> and I had to decide, is this going to be a power struggle between us or am I going to be willing to change how I look at this? And so 
you know, I did. I made that change and I said, I think that you guys are responsible enough to make those decisions, to determine how much time is enough time. Um, and that I understand that it doesn't have to be the same every day. You know, like I'm not asking them to make a new rule for themselves, but to just have the freedom that we as adults have to, you know, sit and read for an hour or sit and read all night long. <laughs> um, and so some of the things that came out of that, though, was me being able to, because I'm not a gamer, and it stresses me out to play, but sometimes I'll play for their enjoyment. <laughs> um, but it is a mutually enjoyable activity. There are four gamers out of my five children. And so they like to play these games together and it helps to just create that bonded relationship. But then the one who's not a gamer, she loves to watch. And she's the one who's the, the major artist. She likes to see the art and she likes to see the, yeah, the art and the music in the background. But she also loves to just watch the decisions that her siblings are making in these games and just think it through. So she's still getting that critical thinking aspect from the video games, even though she's not playing them herself. Um, but from the video games and the, the way that it bonded them together, it spurred artistic pursuits where it's influenced their art and their writing and collaboration on things. And uh, my one daughter plays piano, and for the past two years, when it's come recital time, her brother has said, play this piece. And it's from a video game, you know, because he's picked two video game songs for her. And they, they challenge her because she's maybe not quite at that level, but because she wants to, in a sense, make him proud and please him. She stretches herself, and they become beautiful pieces of music at her hands. So, you know, it's one of those things that never would have come about if we had just kept these rules about how long they could be on it or what kind of games they could play. Um, and then my son is more of an introvert. When he connects with people, it's going to be over things that are meaningful. and just the online community around gaming has given him more access to people who you know, have the same enthusiasm for the things he does. And so, um, so that's been a positive thing. And then with that big age gap that I mentioned before, it's keeping connections between the siblings who are still at home and the ones who have moved off into their own families. They still have something to connect over. So they're always texting about this game or that game or what level they're at, and, you know, introducing each other to new games. And it's, you know, kept their bond intact. Wow, that's amazing, Amy. Thanks so much for sharing that, that level of detail. Um, as you guys transitioned into that. And I loved, I loved your point about, um, it wasn't about getting them to make rules for themselves, right? It's, it's not about right. that. It's about, because that freedom aspect, that 
critical thinking to weaving it into your days, that's where, well, that's what, where the learning comes in, the learning about yourself, um, the critical thinking, like you were mentioning about, about your days and when you need to get up and all that kind of stuff. And the opportunity to notice when you really want to just dive right in and immerse yourself in it, say a new game for mm -hmm. a little while, or, or maybe you've got some, met some new friends online or, or wherever. And, and this is a fun way that you're connecting. So you want to spend more time with that. It's like, it's so much learning about ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it carries over to each of the kids and their interests. Um, and I'm just amazed at how much they know about themselves as opposed to when I was their age. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're able to, to really engage with other people but at a level where they're very cognizant of their own self and their own needs and can express those. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So when we're, we're talking about this transition from the more conventional lifestyle with those, those rules and those expectations and uh, to an unschooling lifestyle where we're more focused on that trust and that respect of each other um, having discussions and that grace that you mentioned, um, it can definitely be a bumpy transition just because as you've been describing, we're learning a whole new way of engaging with them, right? So I think right. you've, talk, you've talked pretty well about what that transition has looked for you um, through like video games and, and food. I was just wondering if there was anything else you wanted to add to that transition piece. Um. Yeah, um, so I guess what we have transitioned to is rather than having a bunch of family rules or everybody knows this is the rule about this or that, it's more discussion and um, how do I want to say this? Through our discussions, each of us has been able to determine what our values are and what our own personal standards are. And, um, you know, because we are a family and we do live with each other and so we do kind of inform and influence each other, that influence doesn't have to come, you know, like strong arms onto them. It's just more a matter of them witnessing what, how we live our lives and whether they think that that is serving us well or not. So, um, and, and then making their own choices based on those things. And then when a choice is made that maybe doesn't serve them well, there's not a fear of being in trouble or getting grounded or anything like that. They can come back and discuss it and then you know, through having somebody to listen to them about what they've experienced and what they would have liked the outcome to be versus what it was, um, then they can make choices on how to go about things differently the next time, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, because this was an, an evolutionary change as well as we were coming up through parenting, um, it wasn't just like we had rules and then boom, now we don't. But as we saw 
and questioned, or as they questioned us, like, why is this? And we couldn't come with up with the right answer other than, well, that's the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or why, we actually questioned it ourselves and um, realized just all the rules that are put on us in any realm, sometimes just how arbitrary they are, you know. And so things like curfews, they just haven't experienced curfews because, first of all, my kids like to be at home. They enjoy being at home. They're not trying to escape. So when they do go out with friends, then it's more discussion of how long is that movie going to last? What time do you need me to pick you up? Versus you have to be home by this time, so make sure they start the movie at that time or, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, the curfews haven't been a thing because when they're done, they, they come home. Um, and groundings haven't been a thing because I just have found that the natural consequences of whatever choices we make are enough. And so if, if they have a safe place to land during those natural consequences, they're less likely to, um, to disconnect and take it all on themselves. Yeah. And then that just doesn't serve any of us well. Yeah, no, that's such a, that is a really good point, you know, because it is, it's about the relationships and the connections, right? That's how we help each other through all these kinds of moments and through the choices that we're making, no matter which way they go, right? And I loved your, your point at the beginning, when you're having these discussions, instead of laying out rules, you know, even if we expect explain, you know, reasoning behind it. But when you come to have a discussion with someone, they naturally need to kind of understand their point of view to add and participate in the discussion, right? So, you know, they're naturally actually thinking it through and, and, and asking themselves, oh, well, why do I want that? What is it that I'm getting out of it? You know, because that's the kind of information to bring to the discussion so that we can figure out a way to make it happen for everyone, right? Right. And it's not like all of a sudden anarchy reigns or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, yes, we are living in the real world and there are places that we go that have their own set of rules. and things that they participate in that'll have their own set of rules but they know that they have the option to say i'm not going to go with this activity because i'm not comfortable you know squeezing myself into that box or i think this rule is kind of dumb but i do want to do this activity so i'll put up with it for the six weeks or whatever it is you know No, exactly, exactly. Because that's the critical thinking piece, right? The figuring it out and the under, because by doing that, they've taken that moment to understand why they're choosing to do this anyway, right? So, so they're, they're still happy to go. They still maybe roll their eyes when they got to do that X thing that they thought was silly, but they know there's a bigger reason why they're doing it. So it's not, 
it doesn't so much get in their way. And then, like you said, maybe, maybe it does get in their way. And then there's more discussion and maybe they decide not to go back. You know what I mean? Because yeah. everything is choice and, and conversation and trying to help them figure out what they want to do and helping them accomplish that. You know, maybe you find a different way. Maybe you talk through it some more and they're like, yeah, okay, okay. I can put up with that. Maybe, you, you know, it gets mentioned to confirm that it needs to be done that way or whatever. But that's, that's the opening. That's the, the whole critical thing. That's living in the world, right? Right. Right. And now um, I do regularly get questions from parents with larger families about the challenges of trying to meet the needs of everybody in the household, right? So, you know, with five kids, maybe that is five conversations for five different things. And sometimes those can all of us all seem like they show up in the same half hour <laughs> of one day. Everybody seems to be having a challenge in this moment. And then sometimes it spreads out. Um, but anyway, I would like to, to ask you with, with five kids, how would you answer that, that question, how to support everybody with, you know, mutual consideration and respect and having those conversations? What did that look like for you? Well, before I answer what it looks like for us, I do want to give credit where credit is due. And you have, a, uh, I think it was one of your, either your tech talks or from one of your conferences where you talk about a family of individuals oh, yes. and how um, fairness does not necessarily mean equality, you know? So just because I'm spending this much money or this much time on one child, it doesn't make it fair to do the exact same thing. What makes it fair is that the needs of each person is being met. Cool. And so I just want to say that you really helped me out when I heard that um, that talk when I was first going through and just listening to back episodes. Sweet. <laughs> um, but the way that played out for us is it just goes back to communication, discussions and communication. And that, for some, for some people, for some of the people in the family, they're really good at saying what they need but maybe not listening about what others need. And then some of the people in my family are really not comfortable expressing their own needs, but are lovely at helping meet other people's needs. So I've had to encourage them to either be good listeners or good watchers or to be good advocates for themselves, for their own needs. Um, and so, um, what that might look like is before when they were younger, we'd all get up and get dressed and go to the park. Um, and if somebody thought it was a great idea to pack the picnic lunch, that's what we would do. But I started to figure out that not all of my kids enjoy eating in the outdoors. <laughs> so, so, you know, instead it's, I'm thinking about going to the park and taking a picnic, does anybody want to go with us? And those who don't want to go can stay, or those who want to eat first but still come enjoy the park can do that. Um, and so everybody's need around that one activity is being met. But then if it's competing needs, like somebody needs to um, be at 
wants to be at one place while somebody else maybe doesn't enjoy that as much, but they need that person to be there with them. For instance, very specifically, I don't like to shop at the mall. I don't really like to shop at all. But my two youngest daughters love to go to the mall. And it's not even that they necessarily want to buy stuff all the time, but they like to go see what's out there. Yeah. And neither of them drive, so guess who has to take them to the mall? <laughs> the person who doesn't like being at the mall. But because I have an interest in, in fulfilling their needs, um, I take them and I will walk around with them and just take joy in the pleasure I see them having as they find things that excite them. But when I get to the point where I'm feeling like I'm hitting my limit, then I'll go find a quiet place to sit, like in a bookstore or sometimes they have chairs just in a, like a lobby type setting. And I'll put my earbuds in or I'll read a book and wait for them and let them continue on. And when they come back, then I haven't overtaxed myself, but they've gotten the full extent of the pleasure that they wanted out of the shopping experience. And because I didn't stay with them the whole time, I also have the patience to now hear all the things I missed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's honoring each person's needs in the best way um, for the group. But that one of the things that um, I know happens, I hear happens a lot, is moms get so focused on making everybody else's needs met that they forget that they have their own or they set their aside to make that happen. But I think the biggest thing that we can do for our kids in this particular topic is to mentor that, to show them that I have a need too. And I'm enjoying what I'm doing with you at the mall right now, but in a little while I'm going to go sit down and you can continue and we'll come back together. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and there's two aspects to it. I, I love what you mentioned earlier when you said one of the things I like to do is to help them, you know, meet their needs, do the things that they want to do. So I can acknowledge mm -hmm. that there's a part of me well, I personally wouldn't go to the mall. I want to help them have these experiences, right? Because that's how they're learning and exploring the world the way they want to explore it, right? But then also when you're having these conversations, yes, bringing yourself to it, right? Bringing your needs to the conversation as in, yeah, sure, I'll bring my book. And when I'm, you know, getting tired, I can go to the coffee shop. I can go sit in the lobby. You know, I, I bring my book all over the place, earbuds. I listen to audio books, you know, finding the things so that it's okay for us too, right? Bringing our uh -huh. to the table so that at the end of the day, you know, we're not completely and utterly drained so that we can't, you know, function for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? So that, so that it's rem it's important to remember why we want to do these things, right? Because that helps motivate us to do all these other things that maybe we wouldn't personally choose, but then to also bring our needs realistically to the table and say, you know, there's only so much. And if you guys will want to stay longer, 
then I can do this or I can do this so that you guys can also stay that extra hour or whatever, right? Right, right. Um, it, it just, I think it just goes back to the basic principle that no person is more important than another person. And although there may be some priorities for that day or for a particular um, tool, like say a vehicle, you know, it is a priority that dad has a vehicle to get to work. <laughs> but, you know, if, one, if we're down one car and we only have one car and somebody else needs to be at a voice lesson or wants to go, you know, hang out at the bookstore, then how can we make that work? Can I drop dad off at work and then we can go do those things and then I'll pick him up from work when he gets off? Or, you know, yeah. or is this a day that it would be easier to just let dad go and, and say, we can do that tomorrow. But it's just discussion and respecting each other as, as equal individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing that happens over time, as they see us all working together and doing our best to um, accomplish what everybody wants to get done when when that pressure is off when they don't feel like they need to fight for their spot yeah and then it's like okay if it if it has to wait to tomorrow maybe it's a little bit of a disappointment but they know we're going to follow through and do it tomorrow so it doesn't become a huge fight anymore like maybe at the beginning when they don't trust through experience mm -hmm. um that you know, that they feel we're just putting them off for tomorrow and then we'll conveniently forget, right? Then yeah. they feel they have to fight more in the moment. No, no, I need to do it now. I need to do it now. I mean, mm -hmm. that may also be they truly, truly feel like they need to do it now, but you'll, you'll get to know the difference. They'll have that trust. Yeah. They'll trust you to understand that, oh my gosh, this is so important to them in this moment. I can wait till tomorrow, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But that's, yeah. that's where the discussions and that's how the trust and the respect and everything develops because we're hearing and listening to each other and really just doing our best, I think, is, is the key, right? Yeah. So speaking of five kids, and you've mentioned the relationships uh, a bit through um, video games and how gaming has been a really cool connection that they share. I just thought we'd touch on how... Um, Sibling relationships in unschooling families can look really different, right? Yeah. So in some ways, they can look the same. You know, there are days where there's a power struggle between two kids over who's going to pick up the dog food that the dog spilled when he was going to attack the door when the mailman came. Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, so this is normal thing. But what I have found... Um, is at the core of the relationship. There is this mutual desire to look out for one another and to be generous with one another. Um, and, you know, some examples from our family about that is, you know, if one of my children isn't with us when there's gonna be, say, ice cream, they are like, how can we bring some home to that person? Or, you know, how can we make sure and set some aside if they're not home? Because they don't want them to miss out on the good things in life that they're experiencing. 
But even if they can't experience it at the same time, they still have each other in, in their minds and want to share that. Um, and generosity, we have um, experienced so much of that where if somebody wants something that's really pricey, say brand name artist markers or a video game system that's newly out, um, they will pull their money together to buy it as a gift for a birthday or Christmas or something like that because they want to experience witnessing the joy of that person getting what they really want. And so that's happened quite a bit. And um, even just the other day with a little thing, as I mentioned, both of the girls, you know, work. One of them works with me. And so they budget their own money. I have no control over their money whatsoever. And we were at the store, and Grace is very particular about children's toys um, that are based on sea animals being anatomically correct. <laughs> like, that is a big deal to her. And she gets so frustrated when she sees kids' toys that are not anatomically correct because she's like, they're teaching kids the wrong, that, you know, the wrong things. The, do- the tail's supposed to go this way, not that way. And she found one at the store. It was a dolphin, and it was correct. And she's like, I'm never going to find another one that's like this, but they actually made it correctly. And she said, but I, I don't have the money for that right now. It's not in my budget because I'm saving for something else. And um, Victoria was with us, and she's, we were getting ready to leave. And she said, isn't Grace going to buy that dolphin? And I said, no, she put it back because she decided it was not in her budget. And she said, I cannot let her leave the store without having the perfect dolphin. So she went back and bought it for her <laughs> because she just knew how important that that was to Grace. Yeah. So those are some things that... I know that that can happen in other families that aren't unschooling, but I think just the amount of time that they've spent with each other and learned about each other and have had um, more time to experience what it's like to give and take with each other has just enhanced that. And, you know, we they laugh all the time because they'll be in places where the majority of kids are public schooled. And they'll say something about how awesome their brother is. And the people will be like, but you like your brother? <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, we think he's awesome. Or, you know, Isaiah, when he first started driving, he wasn't comfortable driving them. And he felt like it was this weight on him that their lives were in his hands and he took that seriously. <laughs> so it took him a while to get to the point where he was willing to drive them anywhere. But I had said something um, in a group of, of parents who all had teens. I had said, oh, we need to go because Isaiah didn't want to pick up his sister, so we have to leave a little bit early to pick them up. And they were like, oh, he didn't want to be seen with his, his younger sisters. And I was like, Actually, no, that wasn't it at all. They loved to spend time together, but he just didn't want to bear the weight of their lives being in his hands. 
<laughs> and again, that quizzical look like, wait, your kids like each other? But that is how it has played out for us. And um, like I said, Isaiah is going to live with Josie and Todd to go to school. And they are so excited to have them coming up there that, you know, they've got a special um, surprise that I can't say out loud right now <laughs> um, planned for this room. And, um, you know, Todd's been texting him and like, you know, one more week, you know, five more days, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's just I feel really good sending him up there with less anxiety than maybe when Josie went to college and was just in a roommate situation with people we didn't know. I know that he's going to like the next best thing to home. Oh, yeah. I love those stories. And and that's been my experience as well, too. Like, I remember, you know, Girl Guides, we were dropping off Lissy and, and Mike and I are leaving and she like comes running over to give him a hug. So, oh, I forgot to hug you before you left. Like, I mean, they were just the, exactly the same thing. You like your brother. You know, at first they think she's trying to do it sarcastically or ironically or whatever. But, uh -huh. you know, yeah, it, it's it is interesting to see it out because you, you, it just seems kind of not because they're just our relationships. Right. And it's, it's right. only once that you go get out in, in some other situations where it seems mm -hmm. a little less normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, when we connected earlier, you mentioned that you had learned some things from your kids about handling arbitrary societal norms and, you know, that whole pressure to conform to things. Um, I think I get what you mean, but I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so they know themselves yeah. so well because they've had that space to just sit with themselves and, and explore themselves and know what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. Um, and like I always taught them don't worry about what other people think. If you want to try something new, try something new. If, um, if you want to hold on to something that seems childish to others because you're 13 now or, you know, you're yeah, 16 yeah. now, you can't like that, but you do still love it, then just keep loving it, you know. And then the situations have played out and they have done that. And every now and then I'll find myself as an adult in a situation where I then have to take my own advice and I can reflect back on how they did it and incorporate that into becoming more comfortable with myself. So it's one thing to tell our kids that you know, to be themselves or, you know, like what they like or pursue what they want to pursue. Um, but it's another thing when we weren't raised that way to then live it out. And I'm just so aware of how much attention they're paying to my example that I start using them as my example <laughs> in return. And, you know, become a better advocate for myself because they just so naturally are. Um, you know, one little thing is college. You know, my oldest tried college 
decided it wasn't for him. That was fine. The second one went to college and had a great experience. Um, and now Victoria's in that stage where she's trying to figure out, do I want to go to college? Do I need to go to college? Because what she wants to do as a children's illustrator can be done with or without. And so she's weighing whether or not um, the benefits Will outweigh the debt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but when she, when her and Grace are at this dance class, it's a, it's a ballroom dance, cotillion type thing, and there are never enough boys. So they're they have what they call dancing dads, and some of the dads come and volunteer to dance, and so they make conversation as they're dancing. And the question that always comes up is, oh, you know, when you go to college, do you know where you want to go? And they always say, well, if we go to college, we do like this school or that school. And the dad will always be like, no, you mean when you go to college. And they don't just let it go there. They go the one step further and they say, no, if we go to college, because we're not sure that that's what we want to do right now. <laughs> and so rather than just say, okay, I'm just going to, you know, let them put that on me, even if I'm not going to follow through with their suggestion, they just go that one step further. And it's helped me to say, I can go that one step further too. You know, yeah. I, can, I can advocate for myself the way that I've taught them to do with my words and they've played out with their actions. Oh, that's, that's a wonderful story. College is always such a big question. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's something I found too, that I, I ended up learning so much from my kids about this kind of, about, about being myself, right? <laughs> Encouragement to be myself. It's like I, I learn a step, cause, cause you learn about this stuff and you want to do it for your kids, right? But mm -hmm. then you learn it a step deeper when it's like, oh, you know, that should apply to me too because yeah. I want – I'm not just trying to have this lifestyle for my kids. It's for our family. It's for all of us. If I think that's the way they should be, um, you know, free and able to live in the world, I too should be able to be myself in the world where how I'm comfortable right how I want to be it's it's all about exploring and figuring out who we want to be as ourselves right you know so maybe you make the comment maybe you don't but it's it's knowing yourself right and yeah. and taking that extra step from what I should be doing to what I want to be doing and yeah so often it was seeing my kids do it in action that encouraged me to go that extra bit and do it for myself, right? Yeah, and even just with something as little as saying no, our youngest daughter, Grace, is so good at saying no. Um, there's a, I think it's the very first Friends episode where the guys are gonna go put some furniture together and they ask Phoebe, does she wanna go and help them and she says, I wish I could, but I don't want to. <laughs> right? And so honest. Well, that's how Grace is. 
you know, um, she, you can ask her to do something or ask her if she wants to join you in something. But if she doesn't want to, she's just going to let you know, you know, very politely. Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. And watching her do that, like we laugh about the, how, how related it is to that episode, but watching how confident she is and just being able to say no as a young woman, you know, where society kind of tells us we have to be kind and we have to be nice and not hurt people's feelings and no can do all of those things. You know, no can, no can feel like you're being unkind or feel like you're not being nice or you might be afraid to say no and hurt their feelings. She's just so comfortable with it. And it's helped me and Victoria to be able to say, am I doing this because I want to or because I feel the pressure to be something? Yeah. And help us to just get better at, at honoring our own wants or needs. Yeah, because like you were saying, saying no uh, can still be kind. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't have to be mean or anything like that. It's it's just um, being where you are in that moment. And and so often the rest of us is like, hey, right. <laughs> That's still doable, <laughs> still doable. Yeah. So what has surprised you the most about how unschooling has unfolded in your lives? I think how little resistance we had <laughs> when we finally fell completely in you know when we finally stepped completely in there was not as much resistance as sometimes people experience when they're describing their de-schooling process <clears throat> um, and I would have thought that there would have been more resistance because most of us in our family really are rule followers and so sometimes it looks from the outside like we're just breaking all the rules <laughs> <laughs> but what it really comes down to is we're choosing what rules make sense to us, you know? <clears throat> so it's not just a rule for the rule's sake, but, you know, is there meaning in the rule that says something to me? And so I think that's why it was easier, but it really surprised me that, you know, as rule following as we kind of tend to be and how much it bugs us when there is a rule that we think is meaningful and we see it being broken, <laughs> it bothers us, <clears throat> that it wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard for us to, to start exercising our critical thinking skills a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great point. I love, I love that distinction. Um, because yeah, it's the idea is not about just tossing rules, you know, mm -hmm. because that does become chaos. I think it's it's the critical thinking piece, you know, you know why the the question, you know, why is, is that a good idea, mm -hmm. you know, and then even playing with the parameters of it. You know, if it's yeah. like a time-based thing, you know, what's the difference if it's done an hour earlier, an hour later, or, you know, all these different things to just play with it because then you kind of own it. Then you mm -hmm. almost don't think of it as a rule. It's just something exactly. that I do, right? This is what I, this is what I choose to do. So, yeah, yeah. when you, you take that 
um, <clears throat> I guess, rule arbitrariness out of it and, mm-hmm. and actually think about it and, and make the choice. Yeah, so often we're choosing these things. Um, yeah, it's more of a choice than yeah. a rule. Yeah, exactly. So another topic that you mentioned um, that caught my eye was how we can help our kids really feel at home rather than like perpetual guests in our house. (laughs) And it really made me smile because I would not heard it put that way before, but it's definitely something that I've thought about, especially as my kids have gotten older, right? And, Mm And I really, well, we all want it to feel like it's really our home not our, our, the, the Royal are everybody's yeah. home yeah. versus, you know, your guests in our house. So I was hoping you could share some more about that. Yeah. So, um, I noticed we started making that change of focusing on like, what are the things that are important to me in my home? I like a certain level of cleanliness, tidiness, And I was starting to get frustrated that maybe some of the kids didn't have that same level of need for orderly in the home. And so I was starting to get a little martyr syndrome Mm -hmm. where maybe I would be like, I'm the only one that, you know, folds these blankets every morning when I get up or... Why do they keep leaving their socks on the floor when every day I tell them, take your socks upstairs before you go to bed, you know? And I was feeling so much frustration. And um, I decided that rather than give in to the frustration and make more demands or shame them for what they weren't fulfilling of my need for cleanliness, that I needed to take responsibility. And so... If the socks bothered me, then I need to change my own attitude about picking them up or change my attitude about them being there in the first place. (laughs) So that was like, that was a real thing. I have one child who who takes off his socks when he comes home. And by the end of the week, there's a pile. And, And it used to be spread around. And I couldn't get him to take him up to his room because when he would come down to do his laundry, he felt like it was good enough that he scooped them all up on his way down to the basement. And so we compromised and I said, okay, can you just keep them in one spot by your seat in the living room? And he said, yeah, I can do that. And he has. And I say one seat, not because it's assigned, but because that was the spot he picked that was most comfortable for gaming. Yeah. <laughs> and so he kind of dominated this one corner with all his computer periphery stuff um, and gaming things. And so that was the spot. And if a sock did stray out, I would just kick it back over to where we had agreed that the sock should stay until we scooped him up to wash him. And that that settled me down inside. Um, And so as I looked around at the other things in the household that had to do with cleanliness, I I had to decide how important is it to me. And if it's not important to somebody else, then either you need to get okay with it or you need to just take it on as I'm doing this for myself instead of I'm serving 
you know, everybody else by doing it when they don't even care if it's done or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that was one basic thing. But then on a more positive note, um, we were doing a few things all at the same time. I was painting the downstairs and Victoria was helping me and she was doing the trim. And there was this one section of wall in the entryway that we hadn't gotten to yet. And she took the white paint because we were painting a different color on the walls, but she took the white paint and she drew this mural with a paintbrush. And she said, can we keep it up? And at first I thought, I don't know, that's kind of different. <laughs> um, but then I, you know, I'm okay with that. But you have to make sure your dad's okay with it too. And so when he came home, she had her whole argument set up for why it should get. And he just said, okay. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, I had things to say about why. And he said, so that being like the first piece of it looking more like they're, they were living in the whole space rather than just having their own room. Yeah. You know, they all had their own rooms and they could keep their rooms how they wanted, as messy or clean as they needed. Um, and, but then the rest of the house was kind of like my domain. And when we let the mural go up, it wasn't too long after that Isaiah went to take a picture of all of his Pokemon and Nintendo uh, paraphernalia. Yeah. So he laid it all out on the dining room table and arranged it just so and took pictures and shared it with his, you know, discord group. Um, and then he said, can I keep it out for a while? Because I just did all of this work to like, and I, and I want to be able to look at it, like, all in one, one big chunk. And I said, yeah, you can, you can keep it out for a while. It's the dining room table, and we only have one. We don't have two, like, an eating kitchen. <laughs> so we ate on TV trays for the next week or so. And then um, people were going to be coming that had younger kids. So I said, if you want it to be safe, you know, you should probably start relocating it. Um, but in that grouping, he had a bunch of uh, little figurines from Pokemon. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want to be able to, like, see them and feel like I'm, like I'm a part of this space. And I said, okay, what do you want to do with them? And he decided to put them in the china cabinet where all of our um, – heirloom crystal is so like all oh, this fancy crystal that's where he wanted to see them and it's it's not a traditional place to put things like that and it doesn't match and it may even make it look a little cluttered but I think if he ever takes them out of there I'm going to miss them because he's right it shows anybody who comes into my dining room hey Isaiah lives here too yeah. So just little ways like that. We still have our Christmas tree up because Victoria and I thought it would be fun to decorate it for every holiday throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs> so we've done graduation theme and we've done Easter theme and Fourth of July theme. So 
you know, just saying it's not as important how tidy or how nice and neat and perfect the house looks. It's more important that they're comfortable and they see themselves represented in every room, not just their own little space of their bedroom. Yeah. Oh, I love the, I love thinking of it that way. Um, and that's something we've played with more too, as the kids have gotten older, you know, because they have things like that, you know, it's not just toys and we're going to just play wherever we are or play this game and, and off we go, you know, um, as they mm-hmm. have that now they've got some collections. Um, they now they have, um, more of an eye and and want to you know Lissy's redone all the shelves in our library you know and a couple of years ago we got a china hutch and we put it in well see our dining room has never really been a dining room here in this house it's been called library and um so when my when Rocco's mom passed away a couple of years ago we got her dining room set Long story short, but so we ended up, um, last time she was here as well, we were like, how should we redo this room? But so we all work together and think about ideas. So now it's full of, um, our game, game boxes Mm -hmm. displayed, right? You know, our Mm -hmm. board game collection. So it looks super cool. And like you said, you know, it, it, it reminds me every time I see it I smile it's like oh these are the games that we love to play together and that we enjoy together even I've been talking with Joseph the last couple of weeks about the kitchen and just where things are you know plates cups and everything I said you know that's just there because it was convenient for me when you know we moved in and they've just kind of stayed that way but you know what I'm not married to it as in, I'm happy to take them out. And if there's another way that makes more sense to you, because he's getting more, enjoying more cooking and stuff and spending more time in the kitchen, he made dinner for us all last night. Um, I said, I'm totally good with that. We'll pull stuff out, we'll clean it up, and you put it back the way it makes sense to you. And I will <laughs> quickly learn where things are. That's not a big deal. But, you know, it's those pieces, right, where we're choosing to all be together in this, in our home. So, yeah, rather than we all just have every, you know, kid just has a room and then we have the, as a, as the parents, we have the rest of the house. No, for me, it's fun and enjoyable to feel like we are all part of this this home right when they're interested in it and when they're like hey can we put our stuff up here can we leave this mural here can we do this you know it's really it's really fun isn't it to have those pieces of them throughout the house yeah yeah (laughs) all right our last question number 10 looking back what for you has been the most valuable outcome from choosing unschooling So I think as I was reflecting on this question, the thing that bubbled up um, was trust. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a few years ago, my daughter made an unpopular choice in the family. And because I backed her up in that choice, that was, it was entirely about her. 
and it should have been about her, and so the choice should have been her choice. Um, but she she didn't meet some people's expectations in making that choice, and when I backed her up, that um, caused a rift, and it's broken a couple of very significant relationships for me. But as painful as that was, I don't regret backing her up because it was like the last um, solid while she was still at home moment that she could still see that she can trust me and carry that into her future. Um, and because of that, um, all the kids witnessed it. They witnessed the outcome of it. They witnessed how I put my relationship with her above my relationship with anybody else or their expectations. I think it, it solidified the trust in them, you know, that they could count on me and dad. Um, and then my oldest son, he left home at 17. And as I've mentioned before, we didn't parent this way with him. And um, you can't necessarily go back in time and change those things you wish you could change, but you can apologize. And then you can move forward from that. And part of moving forward from that for us was he was watching from a distance how things were going with this next set of kids and how we had changed and how uh, we just respected them more. And it's come back around full circle where now he's back temporarily in our home while him and his family get settled here. But again, what he watched led him to trust us again, to bring his family near us, you know, um, and to know that as he had grown over the years, that we also had grown and that there was something good there. So trust is my final answer on that one. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Amy. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Cam. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also enjoy the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide. Inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey Framework, the book is a weave of myths, contemporary stories, and tales from my own journey. It's not a how-to book. No two paths through the world of unschooling have the same twists and turns. Yet, having a general sense of where you are on your journey can bring valuable insight as you navigate the challenges that will inevitably appear. Remember, you are the hero of your story.